What Dr. Watson walks in to witness is uh, Sherlock Holmes sacrificing himself, uh, saving him and uh, Watson's wife at that moment. And of course, Watson at that moment doesn't know what, what that means when he looks at that death, when he sees it. He just sees uh, a violent ending to his uh, friend, uh, the one that he cares for and loves for, and doesn't know all the story behind it. And yet, uh, sometimes I feel like that's a little bit with the way it is with us. Uh, we see a picture of the cross, and uh, there's a whole lot behind it, but we're really not sure what all the story is behind it and how it involves us. The God of promise is the one who involves sacrificial love that expressed in a substitution. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, given for you. This is, uh, do this in remembrance for me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. There was, uh, I'm going to tell a story. Some of you have heard it before. Again, I'll say if, if you've heard it before, then you need to memorize this because this is a great illustration. You need to learn how to tell it to somebody else. So I am now knighting you. Bing. All right. Uh, there once was an a Indian chief, and uh, he was very just, and he was very merciful and compassionate. He was a great leader. Uh, but there was a little problem that was going on in his tribe at the time, and there was uh, some stealing that was going on. There was a thief in the tribe, and they, they couldn't find out who it was. So the chief uh, made a decree. He said, uh, whenever this thief is caught, no matter what, they're going to be punished. They're going to be tied to a pole. Uh, their back bared, and one of our strongest warriors is going to take a, a whip, and he's going to uh, lash it across their back. Well, it turns out that uh, they caught the thief, and the thief ended up being the chief's mother. And so at that moment, uh, everyone was looking at the chief, what are you going to do? Because if he goes ahead and he uh, ties up his mother and, and has her beaten by the strongest warrior in the, in the tribe, well, he'll just look like he's cruel, he's unmerciful. Yet, if he sweeps it under the rug and says, well, this doesn't count, then he'll be seen as unjust and unfair. How does he do both? Well, uh, the day arrives, his mother is tied to a pole, her bear is backed, and then one of the strongest warriors is there with his whip, raises it up in the air, and the chief says, stop. And at that moment, the chief goes up, takes off his shirt, wraps himself around his mother, and he says, now you can begin the punishment. And at that moment, he was still just, but he was also merciful and compassionate. And that is what Christ did for us. His body given for you. His blood poured out for you. New covenant in my blood. What, what is this? What is this covenant thing? I mean, some of you might even be saying to yourself in your head, oh gosh, one more time where... You're going to tell me Jesus died for me and rose from a grave. What's the point? Well, there is a point. And it's tied to this idea of covenant. And I can't escape talking about it with you. The point is found in many passages throughout the New Testament. But in particular, in Romans 14, it's most uh, succinct. And it says this, For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life. What's the reason? What's the point? For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead 
and the living. <coughs> I don't know uh, for sure, but I think this includes everyone here in this room. You're either in one of those two categories. You're either living or you're dead. So I think we got it covered. And uh, in this case, with this verse, this verse uh, concerns you because you are either one of the living or you're one of the dead here today, right? So this verse concerns you. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 also says it uh, in, in a more succinct way, talking about what is the whole point. What is uh, the idea of Jesus humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, and then being raised up by God? Well, what is the point? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and I'm not sure what the under the earth part is, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I just want to ask you, do any of you here have knees? You have knees? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this verse might concern you. Do any of you here have tongues? Yes, yes, you do? All right, then this verse probably concerns you. This is the idea and the big point. Jesus is Lord of both the living and the dead, and every knee is going to bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Maybe I can get you guys to say this with me. The idea, the point, is that Jesus is the Lord of the and the and every will bow and every confess that Jesus is all right you're getting it and lordship not just sacrifice is the underlying foundation of covenant Jesus is the lamb he is the god of promise inviting you into his promise that will change everything it's it is for you if you'll enter into his eternal covenant his everlasting promise. But there is something more to covenant than just a sacrifice because Jesus is also the lion. He is Lord, something that people of the day, when covenants were made, understood. And it's something that we need to understand today. I want to go back to the story of God to show you the significance of the new covenant. And so we need to go back to that part of the story that involves the time of Abraham. If you got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis 15. And we're going to be looking at the verses there, 1 through 18. And uh, so go to the beginning and start flipping through and go all the way to the first number in front of the colon is 15. And then there's numbers after it. And they're the smaller numbers. And those smaller numbers are the verses. And so Genesis 15, verses 1 through 18. And that's where we're going to be hanging out. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there, check it out. Um, you can follow along with me. I'm going to do a little pre, pre-Genesis 15 here. In Genesis 12, God calls Abram to leave all that he knows. And that call is with a promise. Genesis uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says this, The Lord has said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, that promise is, is given. And after uh, almost a decade, after some time has passed, Abram is still waiting for a child and the land that was promised in that original call. 
And God comes and tells Abraham, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abram says, well, you're giving me no children. And whatever reward you have in mind, it's going to end up going to my servant. God says, no, that's not the case. You will have a child. And he takes him outside to look up at the stars. And he challenges Abram to count them. And God then says, that's about how many descendants you're going to have. And then something that has never appeared in the Bible until this point appears. And it's the words, believe, credit, and righteousness. They've never been in the Bible up to this point. And it says in verses 6 and 7, Abram believed the Lord and he, God, credited to him, Abram, as righteousness. Here, something real has happened here. And, and I'll come back, come back to that in a moment, but let's keep following the story. God then says, oh yeah, I'm not only going to give you a child, but I'm going to give you all this land. And then Abram asks a really good question. He says, Lord, how can I know that I'm going to gain possession of all that you're promising me? Because it, it kind of sounds like I, I might even, you know, these many descendants, I might even be gone. I may never even see this. So how can I know that this promise of yours is good? The Lord at this moment chooses to take a custom of Middle Eastern peoples and make it the sign of his promise, saying that his promise is good and it's in effect, something that Abram could count on. So God makes this covenant and he seals it with his, uh, a sacrifice. Now in the Middle East at this time, when two parties made a covenant, it was ratified or accepted only after the two parties walked through the pathway between the dismembered bodies of, of sacrificed animals on either side of them. It's it's very gruesome and gross-sounding kind of thing. But it was to mean that both parties agreed to the terms of the covenant. And the idea is that if one of the parties broke the agreement, then they should be like these torn-apart animals. But in this instant, instance, uh, God alone walks through the animals. Abram didn't walk through it with him. And this was signifying that he himself, God, was binding himself to a solemn oath to fulfill this covenant. And it was all dependent on him, not on Abraham. Abram's part in this covenant is only to believe God will do it. That's his part. But it's a binding agreement, and God fulfills it to Abram. Now, some of us today, we might mistake a covenant for a contract. But a contract is usually made between two equal uh, bargaining positions and equal parties. In the Bible, covenants are not usually made between equals. Rather, they follow a pattern common to the Hittite kings of the ancient Near East. And it was called a, a Caesarean vassal treaty covenant. It was an agreement between a feudal lord and his vassal, his subordinate. One nation over another. A treaty covenant has been made between the conquering king, the Caesarean, and, the, and the conquered person, the vassal. And there was no negotiation between the parties. That, that had already been taken care of by one king conquering the other. Now in Exodus 20, you can see God's covenant with Israel following this pattern. The first element is the preamble which lists the respective parties. He says, I am the Lord your God. God is the Caesarean. The people of Israel are the vassals. 
The second element is the historical prologue. The section lists what the Caesarean or the Lord has done to deserve loyalty. And in this case, it's bringing the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And in the next section, the Lord lists what he'll require of those he rules. In Exodus 20, these are the Ten Commandments, and each were considered morally binding on the entire covenant community. The final part of this type of covenant lists blessings and curses. The Lord lists the benefits he's going to bestow on his vassals if they follow the stipulations of the covenant. Like in the fifth commandment where it says, honor your father and mother and you will live long and enjoy life. That is a, a, a condition and a reward or benefit to adhering to that, that condition. The covenant also presents curses should the... Um, should the people fail in their responsibilities. And God warns Israel he will not hold them guiltless if they fail to honor his name. The Old Testament records God's faithfulness in upholding his part and upholding his covenant to Israel and also records Israel's failure to keep God's covenant. That's what most of the rest of the, the Old Testament is about. It's showing God's faithfulness in keeping his covenant and Israel's unfaithfulness in failing in the covenant. But we know from uh, this past summer when we, we, we studied the whole story of God, that God is working out a plan through his promise to Abraham and the people of Israel. He was bringing a descendant of Abraham to bless all the nations, a descendant that could live forever and rule an eternal kingdom. That's Jesus. And in the story of God, we saw that at the end of the Old Testament, God still pursued his... his uh, uh, Pursue the people of his promise, despite their failing to keep his covenant. You remember the story uh, we did uh, with Hosea and Gomer, it, and it was God's picture. Hosea the prophet was told to go marry a woman who was a, a prostitute. He does it, and they're married. They have children. Then she goes off and is unfaithful to him, and God says, go after her, bring her back, and continue to be her husband. And God says, this is the picture of me and my people. You're unfaithful, but I will always pursue you. I will always uphold my part of the covenant. Now, during one of these times when Israel was being unfaithful, when Israel failed and was receiving the cursed part of the covenant, because God, even though he pursued and is always faithful in his part of covenant, he always keeps his word. He will always be just. So even though he loves his people and his people are unfaithful, He's going to pursue them, but they still have to face the punishments that are in that, named in that covenant. God is just and merciful at the same time. Now, during one of these times uh, when they're receiving a, a curse for part of the covenant, God foretells and reveals a bit of his master plan through Jeremiah the prophet. And he says this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, hey, you need to know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. 
Jesus, on the night before going to the cross, he's sitting with his disciples. They're celebrating the Passover. And Jesus takes some old symbols and he takes and puts new meaning to them. Jesus, on the night before going to the cross, reveals that this new covenant goes beyond Israel. It is offered to all people. Jesus said that this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And the new covenant was ratified not with the torn bodies of animals, but with the pure and sinless body of Jesus pierced and torn on the cross. And at that moment, God bound himself to a covenant to save those who enter into covenant with him there at the foot of the cross. Jesus was the sacrifice the sign of his covenant, his promise to those who would meet him there and believe. Now, some of us might think that, still think that somehow this is a a contract offer between two equal parties. No, it's not. It's not you are not equal with God. Neither am I. You see, God is good and you are not. And I am not. God is good, and you are not. And I am not. God is holy, and without him, we are a sinful mess. When God started this world, there was a previous covenant that our ancestor Adam and Eve broke. (laughs) They were just to keep allegiance by one thing, and they couldn't do it. And the result that was sin, disobedience, the breaking of allegiance with God results in death. So God sent the Son, Jesus, to conquer sin at the cross and to be our substitute at the cross. You see, God is holding all the cards, and you and I are holding nothing. God is the conquering king, and you are the conquered. He is the Caesarean, but will you be his vassal? Will you enter into covenant, a peace treaty with him? Have you already entered into this covenant with him? Do you understand the significance of it? How did Abraham enter into God's covenant? He simply believed and acted on that belief. That's what he did. That belief and action combined is what we call faith. God then credited to him and gave to him righteousness. Credit, that's like like an accounting term. There was nothing in Abraham's accounts, but God took some of his righteousness and put it in and on Abraham. He put him into right relationship with himself. Abraham didn't clean himself up to get into that right relationship. And this was the context of covenant. I think many of us understand belief in Jesus trusting that what he did on the cross, he gave his body, he poured out his blood, that was for you and me. He became your substitute. But in the context of covenant, there's so much more. He has bought you with his blood. That purchase was quite a battle to redeem your life back from the enemy. You know, a conquered leader back in the Old Testament times was spared his life if he offered himself as a vassal, if he would enter into covenant with a conquering king. You know how that conquering was sometimes shown? The conquered king would lay down on the ground 
And then the conqueror would come up and put his foot on his neck. And that was the sign to everyone that this conquered king was going to submit his life to this new conquering king. I know that's a little different picture than how much does Jesus love you? He stretched out his hands on the cross and he died for you. It's a little different picture than that, isn't it? But yet both pictures are true, aren't they? Jesus does love you. First John says that his love is demonstrated and shown on the cross. But it's also true that we serve a conquering king. He is the lamb. He is the shepherd. He loves you. But Jesus is also lion and Lord. And this is the part of the picture of not just believing, but believing to enter into the new covenant. When people entered into the covenant, they didn't confess, Jesus loves me. That wasn't the confession to enter into covenant. No, they believed in their hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead and confessed with their mouths, Jesus is Lord. That has been not only the confession, but the creed of the church, the worldwide community that is in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. You know what? There are a lot of names for Jesus. You know, if you're uncertain, he's the rock. If you're hungry, he's the bread from heaven. If you're thirsty, he's the living water. There are, these are all special names, and there's more. And you would never use these with anyone else, would you? I mean, you wouldn't walk up to Jazz today and say, you are my way, you are my truth, you are my life, Jazz. You wouldn't say that. that that's just stupid, isn't it? And if you're in a relationship with a guy or a girl, you wouldn't, you wouldn't sit, sit there and say to them, you are my hiding place. You are my light of the, of the world to me. You wouldn't say that. Those are special names. And you know who those special names belong to. And to put them on somebody else is just ridiculous. These names are, for Jesus are special. And I guess there are a lot of titles because Jesus is so big in who he is. But you know what? There is one name that is used more than all the others over 600 times in the New Testament, and it is the name Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the... And the... And every knee is going to... And every... Is going to confess that Jesus is... That's right. Though it is a name that is used often, it is a special name only for one person, and that person is Jesus. And when you use that name with him, it means something special. In Roman times, when they collected taxes and you went to turn in your money at the table, there was one other thing you did to show your allegiance to the Roman Empire. It was a little something that they, it was like a little loyalty test. And they would ask you to confess, Caesar is Lord. Do you know that there are Christ followers who refuse to do that? Can you hear us today? If that was our scenario? We'd be talking to each other and saying, well, I mean, you can say it but not mean it in your heart. And Jesus knows your heart, and, and he'll, he'll forgive you. I mean, that, that's probably how we'd be talking about it. But, you know, there were Christ followers who refused because they knew that that name was special. And to use it for anyone else was just 
stupid. So they were fined. They were ostracized. They were punished. They were imprisoned. And some were even killed for not saying, Caesar is Lord. Because they knew the truth that Jesus is the Lord of the... And the... And one day every... And every... will confess that Jesus is... That's right. Jesus is Lord became the creed of the early church. It's the creed of the Chinese church today. And I want to tell you that today, it's our creed. And if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It means something. It means you're entering into covenant with God. Look, you don't enter the new covenant with Jesus by taking communion. When you take communion, you're remembering You're affirming the covenant and the sacrifice it took to make it and that you're in it with him. Have you been participating in something you had no idea of? Are you participating in a covenant of remembrance and affirmation that you never entered into? You enter by complete surrender as one who has conquered and you are changed and continue to accept inevitable change, a new way of life that comes with Jesus being your new king. That is called metanoia. It's a change of mind. It's a change of your life. You're going this way and all of a sudden it's going this way. That's what happens when you get a new king. The English word that we use for metanoia is repentance. And it happens somehow when we believe, when we believe and we confess. It's not the call to clean yourself up or make yourself right before coming to Christ. It is the call to recognize your own sin and to hate it, to turn your back on it and flee to Jesus, embracing him with wholehearted devotion. You cross the line. You enter into the new covenant with belief, metanoia, and aligning yourself with the truth that Jesus is Lord. Now, here's the amazing thing for those of us who have entered into that covenant. Here's the amazing thing and the part about Jesus fulfilling it. You know how the Israelites couldn't ever keep God's covenant no matter how hard they tried? You can't keep the new covenant either. You can't keep it. God made this new covenant for ragamuffins. It is a covenant of grace. You know why? Two things. Jesus became the curse for us, not just for our past sins, but for also the future sins. When we fail in the new covenant and we sin against God, Jesus took that on like the Indian chief. He took the punishment for us. But here is the other thing for ragamuffins. God says, I know you can't keep my covenant, so I'm going to help you. I'm going to put my spirit within you. I will live within you and help you walk this life by faith. Galatians 2.20. Remember the puppet? Sue was just showing them, the kids. Can't do it on your own, so God's going to do it for you. It's going to enter into your life when you enter into his promise, his everlasting, eternal promise. And he will never give up on his end he will always pursue you yes jesus loves you he gave himself up for you a sacrificial love a substitute but in doing that he not only took your punishment he conquered sin raised from the dead to give you resurrection life so that you can live eternally he is the lord of both the 
and the and one day every will bow and every that Jesus is that's right he holds all the cards and without him without being in covenant with him you are powerless listen to him come now let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be white as snow though they are red as crimson they shall be like wool you can surrender to the one who has you conquered or you can resist him I know for those of us who, and Nate and uh, the bank are coming up here, I know for those of us who have entered into this covenant, and maybe it was a long time ago, I, th- I know sometimes we have to be reminded. We have to be reminded and, and keep living by belief and confession and not try to clean ourselves up. Sometimes we start thinking that, that uh, we got some power in this deal, in this, in this covenant, and we think that uh, we're, we're trying to set things right. And God reminds us, he reminds us he is the conquer, conqueror. We are the conquered. Uh, just recently, I, on, I, I got a phone call from uh, a family friend uh, I hadn't talked to in a very long time, and um, they were just asking how I was doing. And uh, I just said, wow, man, things are kind of tough, and here's what's going on. And, and uh, said, and you know, things are financially tight, and from my family, man, just, we're just financially strapped, and told about our debt and uh, just you know, some of the things that happened for us to get into debt with uh, hospital bills and master's uh, degree and, and then stupid choices on my part. And um, anyway, this uh, guy, uh, again, who I hadn't talked to in a long time, uh, on October 10th, 2012 at 11.02 a.m., walked into Wachovia Bank and paid off my second mortgage of $34,000, and, and I want to tell you, he, in doing that, I mean, it's a, it's a very jump up and down kind of thing, but it's a very humbling thing, too. It, it, it is a thing where you go, you know what, I made some bad choices, and here's somebody who didn't make bad choices, who's going to take and pay off a huge debt that isn't his. He didn't really do that out of great love for me. I mean, this, this isn't someone I call up and talk to every day like my best buddy. He did it because he loves God. He loves Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is his Lord. But I am reminded that we are a people that are continually being rescued. And I'm reminded that I have someone who's paid a huge debt for me, Jesus Christ. And he owns me, Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. And I want you to know that you need to get to know this amazing Lord. You need to know who he is. Because when you enter into the promise with him, you're saying, you're laying down on the ground, saying, conquer me. You're surrendering. You're saying you're going to follow him. Know what you're saying. Know that when you take communion, that when you go, it's not just about the substitute and the sacrifice that was made. It's also that he is, because of his death and his resurrection, because of the the blood and the body, he is Lord of both the living and the dead. And one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. It's true. Get to know him.
Heavenly Father, in these next moments, we want to give all our adoration, all our worship to you because you are worth it all. Because you are above all things and all things are held together by you. Everything was created and made for you and by you and for your glory. And today, Lord, we want to say that we want to be your people. We want to be the people of the promise. You're the God of the promise, but we want to be the people of the promise. And Lord, we know that your promise never fails. It is an everlasting promise because you are our ever faithful God. And you have held up not only your end, but you're holding up our end of the covenant. Thank you for making this covenant with us, with us ragamuffins. Thank you for coming into us by your Spirit, causing us to live. Jesus, you are good. We love you. Amen.